Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. Jeremy Troll Subin is the director of Yard Strength Incorporated in Hermosa Beach, California. If you're from the area, you know the gym I'm talking about. It's on the Strand in one of the most beautiful places on earth in Southern California. And if you're an elite athlete, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Tom Brady, Kobe Bryant, Wes Welker, some of the old school greats. They have all trained at this gym. Howie Long, uh, personal one-on-one training, team training. The Seattle Seahawks went out to Hermosa Beach and trained with Troll prior to uh, winning a Super Bowl. Troll's the real deal, and he was also very close with my brother, Kevin. And this is a conversation about how wellness, physical fitness, can affect your mental health and can help you in sobriety. It's also a fun conversation about a ton of other topics. But Troll is a legend, and he is our guest this week. Oh, by the way, Mike Souza joins in for this one. So you want to continue to listen if you're a Mike Souza fan, which I know all of you are. But first... Kevin Souza. All right. So that's you, the first part of you. Uh, a lot of me wishes. Oh, I'm sorry. The troll. I'll let Pete run the show because it's his podcast. But a lot of me wants to be right where you are right now, brother. I'd like you on my lap, too. <laughs> okay we'll have to mark that um so okay the w- one thing i want to do is we're going to talk to you troll about mental wellness and how it lends itself to people recovering from addiction what are you smiling at he's smiling already mike <laughs> um but we're going to use your expertise to help people today that are struggling with addiction or just people that want to go to the next level that are living in in, in sobriety how's that sound I'll do the best I can to share my personal experiences, you know, with respect to the, you know, privacy of the unnamed teams and individuals. And uh, I'll tread lightly around the word expertise and see if there's things of value that people can relate to that we can get into here today and chop it up. Oh, man. So that's that that is Jeremy Subin, um, troll. Uh, and he he's joined by Mike Souza. Um that's where the expertise uh, just falls off a cliff right there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Troll, I want to ask you a little bit about your background. Now, I'm going to do an intro where I talk about you and exactly who you are. So I know you're not comfortable really talking too much about yourself. But in 1989, an article in the LA Times, this was in December, uh, it talked about you and your successful powerlifting career. Uh, but you said in that article... You said you're totally against the idea of using performance-enhancing drugs. If it ever came down to using drugs to stay competitive, I'd get out of the sport. Now, that was your experience and opinion back in 1989. Has anything changed over the course of of your career and life? Just because there's been so many different nuances that have come in um, to training um, and athleticism. 
Well, Pete, the journalist, <laughs> let me let me respond to that broad-based question and say that <laughs> the, the world we live in now, there's so many things accessible. There's resources. There's science. There's medical support. There's testing that allows us to find out more about oneself and what we need and what we don't have. And then who is to decide what we can and we can't do. They're actually having something that parallels what we know as the Olympic games. And it's encouraged to do and use whatever you want, let it rip, break records, do whatever you want with your own, um, adverse response to what happens. Uh, just go in the rear view mirror and see what comes out of that. So I think that's a very unusual concept and the, the methodology that's used globally, that's used individually for different sport and, and scholastic competition. There's different variables depending upon where you live and what country you're in and what's important to you. And some of these circumstances provide people access to if I achieve a certain level of success, I can take care of and feed my family. So it's hard to judge and say, hey, you shouldn't do that. You should do this. It's, it's come down to now, uh, you know, individual choice. What are you willing to risk? What is the reward? Is that more important than living a long, healthy life? Some of the contracts now are hard to fathom if you go back in the time machine and say, hey, if I do these things, that would put me at risk and I can get a $200 million contract, you're taking care of two generations of Sousa's. <laughs> so perhaps that might, that might move the needle. It's a, it's a different, more complicated, you know, circumstance and world. Uh, you know, there was a lot less options and choices for people to move ahead or get a strategic advantage. And I'd say, you know, a general statement of, it was a great time of exploration and experimentation for, for people, and even those famous athletes that we know about, they were pushing the envelope and pioneering things before there were the metrics and the testing. It was yeah. sort of the wild, wild west. And my, uh, my personal journey allowed me to witness some athletes that said, let me do the best I can with what I have, you know, straight edge, keep it clean, let's follow the rules. And there were other people that said, I need to do what I can so I can win and compete at the highest level and cost is not an option. Mike, what do you think? I got him on the ropes already, huh? Yeah, uh, well, yeah, I, I didn't hear a clear uh, yes or no. I didn't hear <laughs> I am opposed to it. No. Yeah, I, you know, I think um, no, nobody knows the fitness world and he'll say whatever, but um better than than troll does nobody like lives the journey um and like he said you know earlier sharing his experience with it um i just know that like that from my personal experience you know w working out just from playing high school football and on how much the world has changed you know the things that we would take that were over the counter um you know the 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 the, the drug enforcement agency or or whoever it is caught up to it right to the process so it's just ever evolving the the landscape and i can't imagine to the you know the the, the black market side right like it's got to be unbelievable but i i know from our our conversations like you go about it with with a 100 natural and clear mind um which 
you know, uh, over the last 17 years is how I've looked at it. <laughs> Usually those things that you just referenced, they're going to help you win in the long game. Some of these choices for shortcuts could get you a medal, a contract, a victory, a scholarship, and there's going to be some cost mm -hmm. on that either in the, in the short term or, or down the road. So that's what I think we're talking about, making, making great choices for what's most important to us. And, you know, back to the original question, you know, it's down to the, the individual of what they're willing to do to, you know, to get that perceived success, if, if that's what it is, if that's what, what the goal is to get this achievement that's not going to last very long. And then as soon as that competition's over, you're on to the next thing. So really that's, that's what it comes down to in, in my opinion and um, to do it the right way to win fairly. Uh, one of, one of the coaches who's, who's a mentor, you know, always talked about, well, we, we all have our own internal scoreboard. You have yours, I have mine. And if you deviated or you didn't take care of yourself before your competition and you let your teammates down, regardless of what the event, result is on the scoreboard you know what you did or didn't do to elevate yourself to be a great mm -hmm. teammate or a great contributor and that's where you can either sleep well at night or live with regret yeah. and that's where the conversation that you guys continually have to help other people around sobriety and addiction and, and allowing substances to get in the way of clear decisions that can be overwhelming to people at times and you can't go back in the time machine and change it. So uh, one of the things that I think about and utilize and share with our athletes and our teammates and coaches is if the purpose of what you're doing is greater than yourself, then usually I can make better decisions that way. Mm -hmm. And so even in an individual sport, you still have a support staff, your team, your family, whoever is supporting you, your community, and it's easier, it's simpler to make great decisions when we have these tough choices, if the purpose is greater than yourself right. and it's going to impact other people, then it's easy for me to keep going. I could say with, with great clarity, I would quit on myself before I would quit on somebody next to me or my teammate. Yeah. yeah Troll, one thing we talked about yesterday offline when I was talking to you about this was, uh, cause I told you when I was a kid, I used to take speed before I played sports and I, and, and then I was, uh, you know, I was a big fan of, of kind of putting that sharp, you know, making my brain sharper was what I thought. And then making my, you know, I could move quicker, whatever I told myself. And you, you said, you know, people that do that, whether they're partying, cause even when I was drinking and using, I felt like I need this stuff to be better, just like athletes. But you mentioned to me, you said, you're just a short term superhero. Um, and then you told me, that the terms of your performance, unless you start to take a, a ton of whatever substance you're taking to ramp up or to be comfortable, um, it, it becomes shorter and shorter, those windows of success. That's kind of like scientific. To, to that point in our conversation, I believe what I actually said, you're a short-term false, fake superhero. Yes. Because these, these abilities were really just with your own self and that that sensation, that feeling, the more regularly you leaned into that that choice, that habit, 
that external crutch, the more you use it, the less helpful it is, the shorter it lasts. And then we actually believe at times that I can't do X unless I have this. And that can happen to people are vulnerable if you have an injury and you're going to play through it and you get it. You take painkillers, you take an injection, or you get something to mask it, and then your body doesn't respond to heal itself the same way. And then we get used to that feeling of being numb the same way emotionally we can escape something that we don't want to feel. And that leads down a really dark rabbit hole and can be super dangerous where it's out of our control, where you actually have a great reason or a purpose to do it one or two times, and then you get this surprise, short-term euphoria, and then you feel that, oh, that was nice, I like that. Let me replicate that, and then it starts showing up too much. And then before you know it, you're not holding on to the steering wheel anymore, you're in the back of the trunk and it's locked, and you have no idea where you're going. You know, it's amazing the parallels between, you know, performance-enhancing drugs you know, chasing that, okay, I need to do this uh, in order to achieve this and can't do it without it. And the parallels between the addiction that that I saw, right, which is, you know, it worked great early on, right? I could talk to anybody, do anything. Um, but eventually, I just kept chasing that dragon to feed it to get to that spot. And ultimately, you burn out. Yeah, I mean, you crash and burns. What happens? That's what happened to me. But it's it's uh, to hear your unique perspective on it. Um, you know, I never thought of it, uh, uh, you know, in the, in those terms. So that's a, it's a wild how the uh, the parallels between you know performance enhancing for a little while and you know the early stages of drinking and where they end up. Absolutely, Mike, and I, I've also witnessed that personally firsthand working with and dealing with athletes, feeling that I can coach them out of it. Mm -hmm. I can make them work so hard that they realize it's a bad choice. And then I discovered that it's more all consuming at times and they're not even hearing or listening or what's appropriate for them. It's absolutely something that can consume the people around them. And the athletes that were, were suffering and battling with this I did not know how to help them. And I thought that if I cared enough and I kept showing up, regardless of the situation, they would see that, hey, somebody cares about me more than I care about myself, that will move the needle. I, again, was wrong. No matter what I wanted to impact or influence on that situation, you know, my experience with, with some of these athletes that were in my intimate circle, my close circle, my day-to-day -day life, until something happened where it was so severe, extreme, where the pain was overwhelming, until they made a choice mm -hmm. that something gets to be different. I don't like this anymore. I can't do it. It didn't matter what I did. It didn't matter what I said. It almost was um, counterproductive and created tension. And I can also recall how much of a failure I felt about myself, that I could not enact some kind of reset or change or refocus or give them 
something to work towards. So the, you know, the approach of work harder, work more, do this had little or no effect on the, the outcome of their battling with their addiction. So somebody who's spanned this such a long, uh, fruitful career, how have you evolved in your ability to manage situations like that? Like if you have an athlete who is using performance enhancing drugs and you know that going ahead and, and, and wanting it more than they want it themselves can't help, how, how do you do that today? Because, you know, people are in that situation. If you have a family member or a coworker or, or, or a love interest or somebody who's addicted to drugs, people are like, how do I handle this? That's a that's an uh, an amazing, really multifaceted question because if I go back in the time machine and we had a little bit of this chat yesterday, there was a period where if you suffered with uh, any challenges and your mental well-being was off mark or you were suffering with addiction or any problems, that was frowned upon to share whether it was withheld from the teammates or the organization, there were few resources. And if you were encouraged to go in there, there's something wrong with you. You have a problem and nobody was rushing to go in there. And if you did go speak to whoever was in charge of that department, then everybody thought, oh, this guy's imperfect. There's something wrong. Future pace to today, it's encouraged to share to give feedback, to let people know how your emotional state is. There's different systems anecdotally and subjectively that the teams and the coaches and teachers, I believe, should use so that I, I kind of look at it as a weather report. So if somebody comes into my space, I'd like to know right away, how are you feeling? Are you happy? Are you sad? Are you energetic? How's everything going on at home? Do you need food? What's your overall energy tank got on that particular moment so that encouraging and inviting feedback and whether it's your family members or authority figures, instead of waiting until there's a problem, if we can encourage and we do that with training and coaching, especially with the young kids, we invite them to walk in and let, that, let us know how are you doing so that they're able to do it with their parents or an authority figure so that if something's off, instead of bearing it and suffering and being in a dark, isolated place, they have the opportunity to communicate with it. And it's okay, whatever the response is, they've got that out there. The days of just rub it out, you're hurt, don't worry about it, you're sad, don't say anything. I think we've discovered that there's a lot more value and the human condition is more than are you physically able to perform and these things that people may bring with them from their backgrounds, their challenges, and everybody's in a fight. Now it's invited to share and discuss that. So you get locker room chatter. You've got coaches that are checking in and it's a lot more of a family environment at times where you know people's names, the wife, the kids, the dog's name, the cousins. And so that when people understand that you care, that trust bridge is much easier to cross back and forth. So today, there's a lot more encouragement and discovery in what the organizations and coaches and people can do for other people. And there was a time where we chose not to understand 
what was really going on. And you either perform or you don't. And if you don't, we'll find somebody to replace you. And that put fear into people from wanting to express themselves. And we all know, the three of us know that when you're able to share an imperfection or something you think is a weakness or I ask you for help, that really is a demonstration of strength. And that does give you the opportunity to have other people support you. And I, I'm sure you guys can agree with this, that I'm only here today because there have been many people in my life that have believed in me at times more than I believed in myself to continue to push and nudge us forward and go into the space of dealing with these conflicts or obstacles or things we make up in our head or we don't understand or know how to deal with an emotion. So we'll try to suppress it or make mm -hmm. it go away instead of identifying what it is, dealing with it and appropriately discarding it if that's the case. We're wondering, well, why is this happening? And that's in the competitive sports world, and that's in life. And also the three of us, I believe, can relate to many of the life lessons that we share and we use all the time are things that we use during competition and, and being part of team sports. And that's something we can take with us our whole lives. I, you know... I have a question for Troll, Pete, if you don't mind. <laughs> yeah, as long as you put down your, your glasses. Well, I, I feel like Matt Lauer. Yeah, I know. Not, before the scandal. <laughs> for people um, that can't see, Mike is using his glasses for effect right now. Go ahead, Mike. Was that, was, was that for blind people or just people who don't have <laughs> no, video? people. <laughs> okay, I didn't know. I'm just, I'm just trying to make sure we're all on the same page people here. People that are listening. Oh, Go okay. Ahead, I know. So, um Working a program to maintain sobriety for me, and and you know I'll speak for myself. Um, it taught me how to evolve as a person, right? And by constantly working on myself, we're trying to and being accountable to this, you know, to sobriety into a program has helped me evolve as a human being, right? From from where I was 17 years ago to where I am now is is light years with still a long way to go for you you know to come across you know our past get get brought together from our my older brother peter's older brother kevin and you meet someone who outlook on life feeding the soul in terms of of, of their growth as a human being i'm curious for you is where did that come from because for me i had to bottom out right and and you you look at life very much the way that that Pete and I do and other people who are working a program. So I'm really curious as to where, you know, where did that start from you? Where, where did that come from? This, you know, the, the self growth and um, you know, the way you, you run your business and, and, and gyms. Well, that's another great question, Mike. And better than Pete's, right? <laughs> Thank you. Just a, just a little better than Pete's. I would say that all the credit goes to, you know, a few simple things that if you want to get A's in your class and you're a student, then you surround yourself with the best, brightest students that have the best study habits and you can learn from them. You can learn with them to model and create systems. So amazing mentors, amazing coaches, amazing teammates that demonstrated 
I can do things better than I think I can. There's a more direct path to reaching a goal if I do X, Y, and Z. And the same way that you identified your own personal work in becoming a better human, it's the same strategy for taking a, a young athlete that has big dreams. Mm -hmm. And if you ask me what I do, I can say that one of the things that's really at, at the crux or you know a pillar of what I believe I do is provide tools for young people right now to help them realize, chase, and establish their dreams. So if you're trying to become a better athlete, you're going to work on the fundamentals. You're going to master those to a point where you know them so well you can't do it wrong. And when you do that, there's a progression and you start to tie things together. And then consistently you see that you can evolve and do these complex tasks. And the way we do small things is the way we do all things. Mm. And if it's systems and habit and a routine that gives you the comfort and the space to feel better about yourself so that when you come across the unexpected, and in competition, we have that. There's chaos. How are we going to respond to that? Along with all those great things, you know, especially your brother, you taught me, taught us that the things that can distract us only will get to annoy us if we choose to allow them. And that's what other people say. It's what other people think. It's other people's opinions. And you know, having a beautiful day no matter what and doing things that you know are going to allow you to feel good, then you can become a better teammate. Anybody can be a good teammate on a sunny day. I stole that from some special operator colleagues of mine that I, that I highly respect, and it's true. When things go south and there's chaos and there's trouble and there are problems, you really can see the best and worst of people how they respond. So we get tested in life. These things happen. Someone's in crisis or you make a bad decision. Do you beat yourself up about it or do you identify what happened and keep yourself going forward? Do you spend time looking in the rear view mirror or do you take that off and do the best that we can to be present and focus on where our feet are and what we're doing at that moment? And a superpower that Kevin Souza carried with him for me was being present with people and at a glance or with a, a gesture or just a listening ear could allow somebody to overcome some of those sticky areas mm. and to get out of their own way to become the best person they could be in that moment. And that's without doing the work for them. That's just allowing them the grace to give yourself a little bit of room to be imperfect and not to take so many things seriously. And initially, I'd say early in my life, I was so focused and goal-oriented that I didn't have the joy and the fulfillment to embrace the amazing experience that you get with teammates in the process of pursuing these goals. And now I realize that that is the joy, that is the happiness and the amount of time 
that actually takes place when you succeed and you win something, that's gone very quickly. And we spend more time in the trenches with the people that we care about in our circle. So having things modeled by some amazing mentors and coaches and teammates uh, led me to believe that how I live my life is to have great people accessible and by making good decisions based upon what's illuminated by these masters, it allows me to, to live and actually demonstrate that I'm much smarter than I really am because I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. And I'm always present to that. No one said, hey, you have to do this. I just feel that for me, that is the way. And especially when it comes to helping or serving other people to do that on a regular basis rather than guess or experiment with that. That's not to say I didn't do a ton of that and fail and fall short of goals in, in serving teams or athletes. And those are things that I'll always remember and use going forward. I think that experience and, you know, repetition is the mother of all teachers. So if we can take that and put great methodology into our practice and our systems, whether we're working on ourselves or we're crafting athletes, that's going to you know, serve us really well and, and pay it going forward, whether you're dealing with your own personal struggle or it's something in a competitive or a physical or a business situation. From, from, from like a scientific standpoint, or you know, a coaching standpoint, how important is uh, the endorphins or the rush that someone gets from working out, right, and pushing their body to the limits, especially somebody who is recovering from alcohol or drugs? Uh, that can fill a major, a major void. With you know, with with my novice understanding, in my opinion, they're equally as powerful that feeling that you get from the hit from, from the drug, the narcotics, what you're putting in your system, or the robust feeling from physical exertion or the endocrine response you get from you know, lifting close to maximal loads, it is equally as powerful and equally as addictive, you could say, or something that drives us to get that, get that hit have that feeling, to know how good it feels to be able to move and have that robust feeling at the end of physical exertion, you realize that that makes me feel good. I have clarity. I can handle stress. I feel good about myself. My energy level is up. The, the same way you get that false security when you introduce that biochemical override into your system when you do it in a nefarious way how, how do you stay cool and mike we'll get to you in one second how do you uh, this is just a curiosity question you've had you know you you spent the early portion of your career i think with training um a, a lot of team sports we talked about you, you know you were with the dodgers you, you work with the rams now it seems to me at least like it's more i know the seahawks came out to see you in 2014 uh, but it's individual, it seems like, a lot of that stuff, too. And, and it's major, the titans, right, are, are people that you're working with. Just from a curiosity standpoint, how do you hold up um, in the face of these 
larger than life people because you have got to stay true to yourself to deliver the goods that you have on a physical and spiritual level. How, how do you how do you maintain that that measured aspect of yourself? First, let me tell you how I failed and fell flat on my face when that was something that was new to me. And you've got somebody who's a Heisman Trophy winner or an Olympic champion or, you know, an Olympic contender. And these are the top one percenters, as I say, they're the elite of the elite. I tried to act different. I tried to make everything more important. I tried to present myself to be something that I wasn't. And I realized that that's what they get everywhere they are in the world. And that doesn't allow an intimate connection and a bridge of trust and to identify, to really get to know what do they need from me and what kind of person are they are they are besides what they're doing when they put a costume on. So learning by failing or not doing as well as I could, I realized the people that do it the best, the coaches that are the masters are the ones that treat them as humans first to establish and identify what's important to them. What do they care about? What are they afraid of? How can I help them? What do they prefer I not do? What are some guardrails? Instead of a coach or a person deciding for you, this is what you're going to get. You're going to take it and shove it right down their throat. I tried that. It doesn't work. And listening, I think, is the superpower to really understand sometimes shutting my mouth and just paying attention and listening and observing is going to give me all the answers I need to approach and how to help them help themselves as much as possible. It became less about what I was doing and more about helping them become the best version of themselves that they could be. And with that, what are they willing to do to get there? So instead of putting my values and my standards and telling them what I want them to do, I made it all about the receiver, what was important to them, and then that gave me the map to fill the gaps. Sometimes it's all about helping them continue on the path, and sometimes it's about framing and shaping and helping lay down a blueprint so they can follow it and they can do what they do really well, and there were gaps that they require support on and then move accordingly, if that makes sense. So the more prominent they are, the more famous they are, the more of a celebrity they are, now I believe, in my experience, the best thing that can serve me to help them is to treat them with respect as a human being first, which might be vastly different than they experience when they walk out of their houses or they go to their training facility or all the cameras come on. They get that. And it's refreshing for them to be treated like a person first and to be valued for who they are and not what they do. And it's easy for people in positions like myself to think that you're a broadcaster. That's your identity. No, you're a person and you happen to do this for your occupation. Yeah. And so as soon as that gets out of line, 
then it's more challenging to do some great work. So obviously, it's very easy and fulfilling and rewarding to work with kids and to work with children. They don't have a lot of the same experience and baggage and preconceived notions and memories to lead them into these distractions. And I can also learn from the kids as much as I can learn from the heroes that we see in their costumes on TV. You know, the thing that jumps out at me as you talk about this is that you're not towing a line, right? And, and this is my experience with you is that it's authenticity all the way through. These aren't things you're telling people or teams or clients. These are things that you live. And the reason I can say this is because the humility that you carry yourself with um, is tremendous. You know, you're in an unbelievably competitive industry where people are on Instagram with pictures of themselves nonstop, right? Trainers, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. If you wanted, you could have a post a day with you and a celebrity, with you and a team, or something to market your business. I, it's amazing. You don't believe in that. You believe in letting the work and the results speak for themselves. Um, what that whole philosophy, um, you live it, right? Uh, to, is that, did you have to get there at some point? What was the evolution like for that? Because it's amazing. So, you know, behind me, we've got some jerseys on the wall and some, some great accomplished athletes. Some of them are in the Hall of Fame and they're different sports and they're champions. And I'm, I'm super proud to have been around those people. And what I feel and think when you say that is I didn't take any at bats. I didn't score touchdowns. I didn't hit home runs. I didn't win Wimbledon championships. I didn't get these trophies. So how dare me to try to take credit from something that somebody else did for my own benefit. And you can also say that I'm a bad businessman <laughs> and I would agree with you because that doesn't get people in a position where, Hey, I want to go there or I want to have this service. So I feel that again, I've made so many mistakes and failed so many times and done some things so miserably, horribly awful that I feel that I can speak from the position of experience to be really clear that I honor those people by allowing them to have that space to be recognized by people. And at most, all I am in that process is on their journey or along a road, I might be a sign with an arrow or a turn that they could make to do something different or upgrade something that they were working on. And that's absolutely fine. And in my view of the world, that is appropriate. The best way for me to speak to your question is, if there's any impact that I had to empower them to have the ability to manage what it is that matters to them the most, then that's a paycheck in itself. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to have participated in that whether they succeeded or not, 
because that's quite a, a precious thing, whether it's working with somebody's son or it's a teammate that sends in another teammate. And yes, it's competitive dealing with agents and marketing and fighting for, for certain things. The more aggressive it gets, the more I realize that the way is to have the factors controlled where I can, we can do the best job we can to serve the people instead of doing it for the wrong reasons for, you know, a short-term windfall. And I'm uncomfortable taking credit for or someone attaching me along with those successes that those athletes made. I'm proud of the friendship, the relationship, whatever I contributed to. And I saw how these, these great athletes, men and women, how they treated themselves, how they treated their teammates, how they valued the people around them. And again, that was a great model. I get to use that as a standard. That's the way it should be. And to be comfortable, whether you get credit, whether you don't, whether your name's mentioned in an article or on TV, that's irrelevant and it's their choice. And I used to suffer and hey, I was there, I did this. You never know why they shared or they didn't share and it doesn't matter. It makes no difference that, you know, all the magic that happens and the work that's done, you know, that your brother did with people in an intimate confidential setting where they really got to have human connection at a deep level. That's where beautiful things happen. That's where the magic happens. And I imagine Kevin is more proud of that than you know, what somebody would say in a publicly facing forum so everybody could pat himself on the back. So those are those are role models or, or people that I hold in, you know, high esteem that if I could do some of those things sometimes, then I would feel that I'm contributing to people becoming better for themselves. Some of the things that, you know, being being an expert in this area um, and knowing how people recover as far as a mental health standpoint as it's connected to physical fitness. What do you think is, or I guess the difference between, you know, if somebody's just getting sober and they really want to be accountable, right? You go to meetings and you stay accountable with the sponsor or your group. Um, but with working out, sometimes people like to do it alone. You hear about the lonely work. Uh, how important is it uh, to be able to team up with somebody else, like like get into a class maybe or or get a trainer even um, as opposed to working out by yourself. Does it, does it matter? It depends on the individual. Some people are, are driven and they can make good choices or there's motivation that gets them started and then really to hold a system in place, you know, the habits are what get you there. So whether you get to start your journey or your process and make some choices on your own, because if we're working on ourselves, then we get to be comfortable alone and have peace with who we are and what we're doing. And then you can stay, you can take that and put your flag in the ground and share that with other people and exchange and receive that. So, you know, the same way we deal with our, our, challenges and our battles with our mental warfare it's it's very similar in the in the physical development because there's 
an emotional component. There's a communal feeling when you're doing it with other people and you're training with the team. Sometimes all you got to do is show up and walk in the door and your teammates are there and that energy is going to carry you and you had a tough day. And then all of a sudden the wind is at your back and you're sailing through whatever physical challenges you're going to go through. Is that easier to do with others? Absolutely. Is it healthy to be able to do those things on your own and replicate it so that we can remind ourselves, I have the capacity to do this when my team's there. So I know I can also do it on my own. So to answer the question, I think a little bit of both is very powerful and it allows people to keep growing, right? When we stay in the same place and we have the environment controlled and we do it in a way that we feel okay, we're not exposing ourselves to developing or being uncomfortable. And that's where, that's where the growth happens. So people may not be comfortable or confident to execute things and, and do it in front of other people the same way that, you know, a group dynamic in therapy, as soon as you start to share, then you look forward to doing it. You're enjoying listening to other people and then you want to go back the same way you have that feeling in a communal environment where you're exercising or training, or you have a purpose that you're sharing with other people. And what I found that that works really well in the group dynamic, especially with kids, is people from the outside might feel they're competing against each other. They're competing against themselves with each other, driving them if it's done well. So I imagine in a group dynamic and in meetings, there might be some parallels there also. I like what you said a lot about, it's kind of like, it talks about, it's like a spider web. It's all encompassing, like the spiritual fitness and the physical fitness. If you're, I love what you said, dude. If you're working on yourself alone, you know, if you're working on yourself, you should be able to have fruitful time alone working out without, uh, without maybe that isolation creeping in. Mike guess I see the wheels moving over there. What do you got? I was just, I was thinking um, in your career, right? I'm sure that there are clients or groups that have come and, you know, you know, wanted your guidance. And did you, were there any times where you found out that their philosophies don't mesh with yours and you had to kind of say after a session or two, or maybe like, Hey, I don't think we're right for each other. Like, does that happen uh, often? Yeah. Yeah, it happens to me all the well, time. Oh, troll, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, that that's another another great question from the Sousa Brothers Rhythm and Blues review here. <laughs> that used to yep. That used to happen more frequently, and I'll tell you why, because somebody would come in or an athlete would be here and then, all right, this is what I'm gonna tell them. This is how I'm gonna train them. This is what they need. I made all the decisions for them. And I would make up that oh, they're not getting it. They're not coachable. So back to my earlier diatribe, mm -hmm. once I stopped that approach and I asked questions and I listened to find out how can I wrap what I know or what I don't know around their environment and find out what's important to them and then proceed. So with that strategy, it's a lot more successful instead of walking into a restaurant and somebody just gives you food that you didn't order. Wouldn't that be bizarre? <laughs> that happens more than you would think, where you walk in, you get this shoved in your face, 
and then you have to eat it and you keep eating it as long as you can tolerate it. And then ultimately there's going to be a breakdown somewhere. So if there's discovery and you probe into finding out what are the puzzle pieces that are necessary to move forward and create a solution, if there isn't a willingness to do those things, then you can almost forecast, I can't succeed in this situation. It's not going to work. So let's take a pass there. Well, what I found is if there's consistency with this process that we're talking about, people will send people in of similar mindset and birds of a feather flock together. You find that these athletes that are sacrificing and working hard and willing to do what's necessary to be the best they can be, they will bring people like them in. And so it gets easier and easier to, you know, to attract that. If you throw the bat signal out to the world to try to see what happens, then it's much more difficult. Uh, years ago, one of my mentors shared with me a story about a doctor that was located in the Northeast and the doctor used to go through an extensive assessment that was beyond the medical questions that you would answer when you go in as a patient. And I found that interesting. And then the doctor did an interview and what he was doing was he was almost vetting the patients to see if they were willing to get well or were they coming in for medication or they just want to have a surgery. And so then he was really controlling in, in the practice the amount of people he could help and do great work with versus who's just coming in to come in. And regardless of what he did, they might stay in the same state. Whether that's a great example or not, I think it rings true in many different practices and professions when you're dealing with people. If there's an identification of what's important and what they've got to share or provide or sacrifice, in order to get the outcome, and that's discussed with transparency in advance, then you can make a lot of good things happen. So I rarely step into a, a hot pile of dog poop anymore because I'm slowing down and asking questions to see, is this something that I can be successful with or contribute to or help? Otherwise, I'll, I'll respectfully step out of the way. You, uh, I got a couple more, well, maybe one more serious question, and then we'll have like a little bit of fun here. You worked with, <laughs> you worked with. I invited my, I invited myself onto this for the fun, so I hope we get there. <laughs> you, oh. you, and you, you worked out with the LA Raiders, members of the LA Raiders in 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 the late eighties. Uh, you've worked out with Titans like, you know, Tom Brady, people we've talked about, but. What is your and not the Tom Brady? This is more kind of like those the 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 fast and loose days of the Raiders than than a guy like Tom Brady who is pretty buttoned up. But what's the what's uh, you know, obviously no names, but like what's in a, a situation where you were with an athlete and it was the first time you were exposed to somebody who is on the field competing for not only team goals but personal goals and then maybe personal wealth, but you saw that they had an addiction in their life where it was like, you're welcome to like, you know, they say like a welcome to the NFL moment or welcome to the NBA moment. For you, like a, a welcome to personal wellness moment, like, wow, here are these people who can accomplish anything they want in their lives, but they can't beat this. Uh, Daryl Strawberry for me was always mm. one where I was like, good Lord. 
Um, was there any, any any situation around what time was it that you said, wow, this addiction thing is a monster? Or maybe there was something personal in your life. The answer is a big fat yes, and I was overwhelmed. I was, how can they perform at such a high level, be a superhero, and live as if they're a wild bandit the rest of the time and keep doing it? I think that became the, the scariest realization. If you're running with the wolves and you're out all night and you're putting this poison in your body and then you can get up and practice and function and go compete, where is it? Where does it end? How does it, how does it work? It was absolutely overwhelming and I had no idea how to even address dealing with, with any of it. And the farther back in time we go, the more it was, it was present and, and absolutely overt to the point where the more you do it, the more you got a badge of honor and, Hey, I didn't sleep and I did this and I still practice. And I went to the game and I performed. It was, it was absolutely out of control without any way to slow it down, have a conversation, make a suggestion. There were no guardrails or things that were in place to slow it down. It was quite a savage period where as long as you play, as long as you make things happen when you're supposed to with your costume on, nobody cares about the human being or the family that has to deal with this outside of what we see in the public eye. So I would say I didn't do anything and I wasn't sure how to operate with it and just pretended I didn't know it was going on and, you know, gravitated towards people that were making better decisions and try to learn from them of, you know, how do you approach your teammate or is there a conversation or do you just accept it? And at that point, are you an enabler if you don't bring anything up to help them or check in with some of the family members, either the children or the spouses to see if there's some access point where something can be illuminated and they can start to find their way. But it absolutely was much more rampant all across the board with reckless abandon to the point where I had no idea what to do. You just stand there and try not to get it on yourself. That's a great answer. Uh, one more thing, and Mike, you can Mike jump in on this. So, <laughs> when um we talked to you after you know our brother Kevin passed away in May, and we were out in uh, Hermosa for a memorial in June, and uh, you know you just mentioned people that work on themselves. So I have a certain confidence when they can spend time alone or they can do certain things. Maybe some of us can't. Kevin, our brother, was one of those guys who really worked on himself a lot. And, uh, you know, through doing that, he was able to help people like my brother, me, someone like you. Uh, but you talked about that undying confidence he had showing up at a, at a pickup basketball game. And uh, Kevin, for people that know him, he was, not a, he was not a real good basketball player. Mike, I mean, do you have... <laughs> Any any recollection, Mike, of Kevin playing basketball? Oh yes, but oh God, no, I mean, n not well at all. I mean, we would we when we would play dunk hoops in the backyard. He was definitely uh, 
He was a he was a star in other arenas, certainly <laughs> not on the court. So, troll, tell us, uh, remind us of the story you told us about. So we we were here inside the yard and Kevin was training and I asked him, I said, Hey, do you play basketball? Do you like basketball? We have an, an incredible ritual that's been going on for 20 years at a, at a local place. And it's a, you know, it's invitation only. So it's a controlled environment with really great people and a beautiful gym in our community. And as soon as I said, do you play or do you like basketball? Absolutely. I'm in <laughs> when I'd love, I'd love to come. And I was excited because your brother was, he was a public figure. He was a celebrity. And if he walked out of his house or he walked out of the front door here, he had to be ready to deal with people. And if you're going to meetings and people are going to ask him questions and I have compassion for that. And I also thought he could really enjoy coming to a place where he could just be himself and have some fun and mm -hmm. play basketball. So you get a sweat. You get to meet some great people at the same time. So, boom, Kevin shows up. He wears his Eagles shirt. He wears <laughs> his Lakers shorts. He's got Jordans on. He's got a bandana. And, you know, we lay out the rules. He's got there's, spandex there's coming out from under the shorts. He did have spandex <laughs> under the shorts. Got, you know, all the all the strategic advantages in place. All the trimmings. Not necessarily – not the fashion. No. And – so we, we start we start playing and he couldn't be more excited and ninety percent of the people there he didn't know. And you know, we're playing we're playing five on five and you know Kevin Kevin got the ball in the paint, not on the low block. So he planted his feet and, and turned around to do a jumper and the ball went under the basket and missed the backboard by about five feet. So imme immediately I felt bad for Kevin. And I looked up at Kevin. He could care less where the ball went. He was already running down court, to, you know, to play defense. And then I'm thinking, is he not going to shoot anymore? Absolutely not. As soon as he got the ball, it was a black hole, and he was turning up squared towards the basket. The second shot he took, he hit the backboard. Not even close to the rim. And then after a couple more times, he got his rhythm. God bless him. He got closer to the hoop. So now it was a little bit more of a bunny. And, and believe me, he was a body catcher on the way to the shot. There were people that were eating elbows and armpits and, and nipples and hips on the way. And, and after he made a couple baskets, you know, then it was on. And to his credit, he played good team defense and he was a good rebounder. And so he immediately earned everybody's respect and admiration because that's the kind of guy he was. It doesn't matter if the ball goes in. I'm in the process. I'm going to do it till I feel good. And then I'm going to be a contributor to my teammates. Might suffer for the first couple possessions. And I think they were, you know, his team was down four to two on a game to seven. But eventually he got, he got it going. He got the, he got the good Found flow. Found his way. Yeah. He found his way. I think I, he was so intimidated to play basketball with you guys. He oh, wanted to yeah. choose some people that he didn't know, and then he could get a little traction that yeah, way. Well, it sounds like it didn't happen in the perfect way. But I, I got a question, Troll. When you were trying to arrange a boxing match between <laughs> Peter and myself, and then when we were in 
your facility, the office, could you smell, two-part question, could you smell the fear from Peter and the way he ducked it? And number two, before he actually completely ducked it, were you scared for him and what would have happened during the bout? My name is Peter. Time is yours. Going into the going into the bout that didn't happen, I believe that childhood trauma has taken <laughs> over young Pete and the ass beatings that he got from you guys up until now. I think that crept back in. And I think he thought even though he's got the reach, he's got the speed, he's got the athleticism. He didn't want that smoke from a Mike Sousa jab. It was not that ready. Was, there, that I, was really that was I really saw no quality control around this event. And I saw an absolute beating. because uh, I told you, Troll, Mike can be an angry guy and and, and when he gets <laughs> when he gets when he gets going, I, I didn't I, I don't see you as somebody who would step in and stop it. Literally, we were texting and I said, Troll, Mike and I are gonna come in to work out. Let's set up a boxing match. You know, I'm 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 screwing around. And Troll, of course, is like Hey, oh uh, yeah, that's no problem. And all I see is the yard, which is this platform for greatness, becoming this platform for for my absolute pummeling. Um, I could see a ring set up inside, and you know, music Nate is there, and Sully is there, and all. Yeah, you know, then I, I would have been I, epic. I don't need any of that. <laughs> I don't need any of we, that. We 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 have all the equipment, and it would have been car- carnage. And uh, <laughs> I think it was in all of our best interest to not have it happen <laughs> not mine i was ready but okay who is the most coachable superstar that you've that you've worked with somebody that would not su- not on this not <laughs> yeah. on this uh zoom call by the way troll we started he he, he kind of shanghaied us mike with meditation right quickly we were talking and then he said no this is a no talk zone <laughs> yeah which is which is hard shutting us up yeah we're like oh god that's why i gotta be clear but otherwise, it, otherwise it wouldn't have worked. Troll, who who was who so, was the number one athlete okay, that was coachable? You know, this is this is really putting me in a in a problematic situation to That's answer right. it with. Hey, what about me? What about this? What about that? What is your definition of a superstar? Right. So, I'm going to I'm going to divert the direct answer and say that I've had the privilege of working with some elite athletes that would be considered superstar status to Pete Souza, who is in the sports world to the point where it would be a struggle, a battle, a fight to get them to stop. It was never enough Mm. to the point where if you told them what to do and run through a wall, run through glass, jump off a building, you know, do this on the sand, lift this, whatever the task might be, they were so willing to do whatever it took to be champions or to be the best teammate possible that they were getting in the way of their own welfare at times. That's, that's another thing that you learn when you're working with these highly driven, self-motivated people is some of them can't slow down. And the, the concept of recharging after you do the work it's more is better. And as long as I can stand up and breathe, I'll black out before I die. So let me keep going. Some of these people, and there's quite a bit of them, that was the, the, the hardest thing in, in the coaching aspect to try to get them to allow themselves to understand that their rest 
their fuel, their hydration was just as important as working on their skill acquisition or, or doing their preparation, especially when they're coming back from an injury. They're chasing the calendar. They're competing against somebody else to take their job or a contract that it would be hard to say this one person was head and shoulders. Everyone had their own unique capacity. And what I will say that I'm incredibly grateful for is they didn't turn me into someone that had to do the cheerleading. They didn't require somebody generating the juice or the energy from them. It was more operating like a general or a sergeant where you're commanding and, and helping them get some structure so that they can attack whatever the challenge is versus generating all the energy for them. So the separation for those elite superstars versus civilians and the common people that watch them is their drive, their ability to suffer, their commitment to sacrifice themselves or their work capacity and their range to do that. It's incredible. It's remarkable. And it continues to be demonstrated when we watch these, these feats of strength and these amazing things that happen in sport. And that's what makes them incredible, remarkable, amazing. And so to try to turn that off or slow that down, that doesn't work either. In a sense, they're superheroes. Mm. So identify that that's something that you really don't want to mess with, accept it, respect it, and see what you can do to, to stay out of their way. Do, do we have time for one more quick question? Yeah, go ahead. I mean, it's up to Troll. The troll, troll, um, skincare routine. I noticed when we were there that you have w wonderful skin, and I He's can got tell great here, skin. And and, and I'm not even going to say when he graduated Temple. Um, what is the regimen? <laughs> you you don't have to answer that. Holy Spirit High School in Atlantic City, and then well, on to Temple. Go ahead, go ahead, troll. What do you do at night? Well, I think it's the water. For, you, you you eat well. You make sure you get enough oil in your diet. Don't eat so much wood that your joints can't move. And, uh, you know, be smart when you go out into that dangerous sun, right? Cover yourself up if you're going to be out for a long time or, or use the sunblock. That's really the, the magic. Um, really hope for sure. Th thanks, for the, right. thanks for the compliment. It sounds like it was more of ironic sarcasm. No, hey, that was, hey, for real, that was legit, honestly. You really do look young. I, I was looking because I, you know, yeah. doing, doing my research. You guys never believe how old this guy is. So, so oh, <laughs> he's a pop. Look at him, troll. Do you have anything for us? I mean, I, oh. I, I cannot thank you enough for for being a part of this. What I like to say, a little sliver of the solution. Uh, this is a place where people can go if they want to learn about recovery or learn about things that they can do. Um, to maintain or obtain recovery or, or some kind of peace of mind through all this madness that is addiction. But what do you, anything, any wise words you want to leave us with or you want to talk shit on well, Mike I, a little bit? Well, I, I want to say that, I want to say that, you know, to you guys, I appreciate the, the courage, the honesty, the commitment to helping other people and helping yourselves along the way and how important it is for you to, you know, reveal the mistakes and the errors and the challenges and the tribulations that you guys have have battled to be able to be where you are. And that's that's to me is inspiring. It's why I 
forced myself onto this episode today so that <laughs> if there was some way that I could get better and feel better about myself through osmosis. And I say that, you know, to encourage other people to take this as an example of enjoy yourself, don't take yourself too seriously. And anything that you're concerned about that has happened to you, if you put it out there and you decide to share that with somebody or put it in a public forum like this, it just allows people to have perspective for themselves and, and feel better. I know we know that everybody's in a fight and everybody's got a battle. And if we're kind, that helps us be able to connect and understand what's going on. It's not always going to be communicated. So, you know, the fact that you guys do this in such a fabulous forum and an open space for people to be on the sidelines and, and check it out. I would I would hope that people have a little bit of a reset and they're refreshed and, and entertained by how well you guys can do this with and for each other and not take it too seriously. What was what was your favorite thing about our brother Kevin? My favorite thing about Kevin is that no matter what was going on or what was happening for him or what factors were influencing him. He had a invisible force field around him that was so airtight that any intergalactic elements, you know, could not penetrate that, that he had done so much work to discover what mattered to him and who he was as a human being that just to be near him would be the same as, you know, getting energy from the sun. And that's also a very difficult thing to hold because everybody wants something from you all the time. And I was very sensitive to, is there any way that I can connect to Kevin and give him a little juice or check in with him and make sure how he was doing? And, and sure enough, you know, whenever that happened, that would always reflect back on to, you know, he remembered everything I said to him about what I was struggling with, about what I was dealing with. And it was never about him. He could and would acknowledge it. And he would always come back to um, make me feel immediately as if I was going to be all right and that he cared about me. And that was just so special at a, at a difficult time for me in my life. And also to remind me that we can be that way for other people if we choose to. And so the, the standard that he held himself to reinforced how much room we have to go and to work at as people to follow in that path, mm. to not try to be like him because that might be unreasonable for many people, but just to have a reminder that you can be that extraordinary with little effort once you establish and you work on yourself enough. Who was more confident, Kevin, Kobe Bryant, or Al Davis? Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Kobe, My, I think Kobe's got to be a close second. Close second, Kevin. right? Yeah. Yo, I, it's, an, it's an honor to have you as a part of my world now. And I, you know, I'll speak on behalf of Pete and I'm sure, you know, he'll add, but man, you, you're part of our family from for, forever, man. Like, 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 you know, through the tragedy of losing, you know, your close friend and my brother and Peter's brother, 
Um, there have been so many beautiful relationships. And, uh, man, you are one of those key ones that we have gained from this. And uh, I'm really, I feel really blessed that you're a part of our lives, man. Well, thank you, guys. That's that that's super kind. I'm trying to push back the crocodile tears now. And if you know Kevin could stand here with us right now, he would say he would he would want it to be this way and for us to do as much as we can, you know, for each other as often as possible. Uh, you know, full gas, no brakes all the way. And he was so proud of you guys and, and loved you guys so much and and shared you know, lots of meaningful stories, you know, with me about you guys. So it was an honor and a privilege for me to, you know, segue and 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 crash into the space under the circumstances. Let it rip. I love you, troll. I thank you so much. I love you guys. Love you, man. Thank you. I'll send you this uh this this link when when we're done with it. It should be up tomorrow or Wednesday. Okay. It might take a lot longer than that for people to cut out all that and, and edit it <laughs> no, it's and perfect. clean it up. You're awesome, is, man. Baby. Seriously, bro. It's so great even just seeing you in this venue, man. Really. It's awesome. Well, thanks for thanks for letting me crash the party. <laughs> You're the best, dude. You got you guys are the best. Thanks, troll. Appreciate you, man. Much love, brother. Hey, I got one more thing to say oh. before we sign off. Oh, yeah, let's go. Let's go. Go birds. Go birds. Yeah, birds. Right. <laughs> I can't believe we didn't talk about that at all. <laughs> All right, get to fair. See you guys. Love you, brother. Thanks so much for listening to The Payoff with Pete. Once again, I'm Pete Souza. And of course, we are part of the Rogue Media Network. All kinds of good podcasts you can find at roguemedianetwork.com. And of course, you can find this podcast and all those other ones wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, other spots like that. This is has been a Rogue Media Network production.